0: For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.zm Beloved, let turn with me in your copy of the Lord's Word to First Peter chapter 2. Now we're taking a break. We're just about to finish our series in Chronicles, but we're taking a break this week and next to just uh, see other parts of what the Lord would say to us. And this morning we're here. While you're, you're turning there, I have a question for you. If you were asked what is at the heart of all your sinful behaviors toward others, what would you say? What would your answer be? That is, what is the reason that you treat others, sometimes treat others, in a manner that scripture tells you not to? Um, Why is it that we do not love others in the manner that we're told to? We do not forgive in the time in the manner that we're told to we do not uh, care in the way that we are called to now you could come up with a number of different answers to that question that are generally good and solid answers you one of you could say to me well the main issue is that i'm not growing in grace i've been slacking in my study of the gospel and in my observance of the lord jesus And that is why I'm ending up dealing with people in the way that I'm dealing with them. If you said that, you'd probably be right. It might be true in your case. Another one of you could say that, well, I lack a certain grace. You know, I I struggle very much with forgiveness. This is an issue in my life. And that is why I have not forgiven this person the way that I'm supposed to forgive this person. And if you said that, that might be true in your case. You could say, "I I lack self-control. That is a grace that I lack, and that is why in a moment of heat, I lose myself. That would be a solid answer if you said that. But the Bible also, throughout its pages, shows us another explanation that is quite emphatic. And this explanation is this, that you're not responding or acting aright with regards to other people because, possibly, You are riddled with malice. Your heart is ensnared, your heart is enslaved, infected with malice and all of its cousins. In other words, it's possible that the reason we act wrongly, in the way that we act wrongly, is not because we lack something, but because we are full of the wrong thing. And that wrong thing is malice. The sheer number of times the apostles of the Lord Jesus warn us against malice shows us that we ought to pay much attention to this evil and we have to craft ways to deal with this evil. In our text, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Peter says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy, and all slander it's not just peter in ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 the apostle paul says this let all bitterness and all wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice in 1 corinthians 5 8 paul says this let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven the the leaven of malice and evil but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. In Romans 1 verse 29, it shows up twice when Paul is describing the sinful world after the society has been given over to sin. Paul, in a single single sentence, it shows up twice. Paul says this in Romans 1 verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Same in Colossians chapter 3 verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And if you think that this is just Paul's hobby horse and maybe something Peter's interested in, Well, here's James as well. James chapter 1, verse 21. He also says this, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant maliciousness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. John also would have us be aware of this issue. He says this in 3 John 9, I've written something to the church. But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I'll bring up what he is doing, talking malicious nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. Dear saints, it's clear that for the apostles, we need to constantly be on guard regarding malice, And its effects. When you see a church, when you see a marriage, a friend group, or any kind of group of people who are in disarray, full of discord, you must mark it. Malice is not far, malice is very close. So, this morning, ours is a very simple task. I want us to go through an exploration of this monster of malice. We need to understand malice we need to understand its machinations we need to understand where it comes from and then finally we need to see how do we deal with it how do we deal with malice so firstly let's begin at the beginning what is malice what is this thing that the apostles of the lord are so keen for us to be aware of and to fight against and to put away Well, the word that is used in all of these passages is a Greek word that could literally translate to wickedness. Wickedness. Evil. Sometimes it's translated very rarely as trouble. The main reason, however, why most English translations translate these verses using the word malice and not wickedness is because it is wickedness as it relates to other people. And malice is the best English equivalent of that. And for us to fully understand the full meaning of this, we need to discuss the concept of wickedness in Christianity. I want you to think with me for a second. In, In Christianity, we understand that the biggest issue that we have is not necessarily our behavior, correct? But it is our hearts. We understand this. The Lord talks about this. The apostles talk about this. We understand that our behavior is only a fruit of where our heart is. Yeah, Our behavior is only a true fruit of what we actually are. In many ways, our behavior is almost secondary. What really tells us the true measure of a per- person is what's going on in his heart. What are, what are his thought processes? What does he think on? Meditate on? That's what tells us where a person is. Behavior might show you how bad a person has gotten. So here's a big, horrible behavior that happened. But the real issue, the real case of the heart, is, the real case of the person is seen in the person's heart. This principle of wickedness becomes important when we consider the definition of malice. Malice is not a behavior. Malice is not something that you do. You can act with malice, You can be malicious, but the act is entirely separate. Malice, rather, finds its seat in the heart. The simplest definition of malice is that malice is the intention to act with wickedness. Malice is the intention to act with hurt towards somebody else. This is the intention to hurt someone. Malice is a decided conviction to act against someone in an evil fashion. It is a decided heart motive, a conviction that leads to action. When someone acts maliciously, they have decided prior to that action that they are going to do something that is evil. And they've decided that this person in front of them is worthy of denigration and derision. It is something that finds its seat in the heart. Emotionally, malice is related to anger, bitterness, grudge-holding, envy, jealousy, pride, covetousness, and all kinds and manners of lust. Malice, we could say, is willful disobedience of the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself malice with the will a person decides instead of loving their neighbor they decide to hurt their neighbor and of course that the hurt that the person wants to inflict on this other person shows itself in different ways That is why the apostles always group malice together with other wicked interpersonal behaviors. Peter, in our text, sees it fit to to pair malice with hypocrisy and envy and slander. Elsewhere, in Paul, Paul pairs it together with bitterness and wrath and anger. And of course, slander shows up again. It is, it is related to these other wicked interpersonal behaviors. But there is another element to malice that really sets it apart. It makes it a cream, a, 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 a special one among wicked interpersonal, behavior, uh, uh, interpersonal evils. And that is this. Malice singles out a person for hurt and is satisfied with the hurt. Malice singles out this person or this group of people for hurt. I want you to be hurt. And that's what's going to satisfy me. Malice in the heart chooses a target and decides that this target must be belittled. It must be, this person must be taken from their high horse. This person must be denigrated and then enjoys the action of falling down of this other person. That's what sets it apart. Where pride is when one decides to inflate themselves above others, malice chooses a person for whatever reason and wants to bring them down for the sheer pleasure of it. Go back and think with me to the first two malicious actions we find in the entire Bible. The first examples of, mal- of malice in the entire Bible. We begin in the garden. The serpent chooses Eve and decides to destroy her relationship with her maker. Now, what would the serpent gain from this? Think. What did the serpent gain from this? Did he elevate his own position in creation by destroying Eve? No. No. He didn't elevate himself at all. He's, he's going down already and he's taking Eve with her and that's where his joy comes from. Did the separation between Eve and her maker give the serpent uh, Eve's soul in some con- cosmic transaction? You know, if, if I take Eve down with me, then her soul's going to belong to me in some weird way? No. Contrary to popular belief, Satan is not the lord of hell. He is destroyed and tortured in hell with everyone who follows him. So it's not a net gain for Satan at all to take humanity down with him. So what, so what did he gain? What did the serpent gain out of this malicious act of tempting Eve to, and destroy her relationship with her maker? He gained nothing. Just the satisfaction of destroying the image bearers of God. It's the same in the next chapter, chapter 4, with the story of Cain and Abel. For Cain, it was intolerable that Abel was, Abel's sacrifice was accepted and not his. And what makes and what this story actually tells us is that it actually crystallizes malice even more. He was annoyed that Abel's sacrifice was accepted. But what did God say to him? God said to him, "If you act aright, what will happen to you? You will also be exalted." You will also be accepted. If you just do what is right, you did what is wrong now. But if you just do what is right, you'll also be accepted. There's a way for you to gain. There's a way for you to be in the same place that Abel is. But Cain couldn't handle Abel being there. He He didn't go about fixing himself so that he can get what Abel had. No, he couldn't handle that Abel got what he got. And so Abel must die. You seeing the problem? The the, the sheer, the point of malice is simply to bring you down and that's all that I want. To bring you down, to destroy you. In many ways, malice is irrational. Malice does not aim at the highest mutual good. What malice wants is the destruction of its target. The main aim of malice is to bring a person down. It's almost irrelevant what happens to me. As long as you're down, I'll be happy for the time that I'm happy for. See, covetousness wants what you have, malice solely desires to destroy you. This is why the apostles pair malice together with slander so often. Why do we slander people? We want to bring them down. Why do we talk evil about people? We want to bring them down in the esteem of others. Bring them down here. Deceit. Gossip. That's why the apostles put that together. Why are you talking about these people in these ways? It's Because you are really just satisfied with some... You're not satisfied that you're the only one who holds this person in derision. You want others to hold this person in derision. This is, this is our enemy. Malice. This is an ungodly, satanic desire, an ungodly, satanic attitude that sits in our hearts. And dear saints, we must wage war against it. Now, where does malice come from? What are the sources of malice? Where does malice come from? There are multiple and varied sources of malice in the scriptures that we would take a long time to explore. But for our purposes this morning, I would like to bring to your attention just three. Just three sources of malice. Number one, envy. Number two, unacknowledged self-importance. And number three, unresolved offenses. So number one, let's look at number one, envy. And for this, I'm going to ask you, to come with me to Genesis chapter twenty-six. Genesis twenty-six. I want to show you envy as a source of malice. Envy as the progenitor of malice. Now, what we we're coming here in Genesis chapter 6, Isaac is being blessed by the Lord and he's just come to the Philistines and he's done that whole thing of saying his wife is his sister. And and then that whole situation just, get, just gotten solved. And this is what we find in verse 12 when the Lord is blessing Isaac. Look at what's happening to Isaac. And Isaac sowed in that land And reaped in that same year a hundredfold, and Yahweh blessed him. And the man became wealthier and wealthier until he was exceedingly wealthy. And he possessed sheep and cattle and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. And the Philistines, look at this, stopped up all the wells that the servants of his father had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. They filled them with earth. Did you hear that? Because of the blessing that the Lord had bestowed on Isaac, because the, Isaac was becoming wealthy and wealthier and becoming bigger and bigger, it was simply not tolerable in the hearts and minds of the Philistines. We're told why it was not tolerable. They envied him. Did you see that? They envied him. They couldn't handle, how can you, you're growing so big while we're just remaining like the normal plebs. We're we're, we're growing at a normal steady rate of growth when you're growing exceedingly high. We can't handle that. And so what do they do? They go to to the wells that they're using to feed the sheep and cattle and they fill them With with earth. You have to understand how devastating this is. This is a horrific act, you see, because your wealth in those days is measured by sheep and and cattle, right? And what do sheep and cattle and all these things, these animals need? They need to be watered. So then they go to wells that the Lord is clearly blessing. The Lord is blessing these wells. The water is coming out here. The sheep are able to drink. And they go there and they put earth to plug up the source in one sense of this flourishing they decide in their hearts that since god had blessed him and our gods have not blessed us we will attempt to kill the by thirst isaac's animals and thereby rid him of his wealth they didn't come to him and say hey can we water the same place as you because clearly maybe your waters have the thing you know they didn't come to him and say, hey, can we, can, we, can we just drink from the same place? No, you can't have this. That's it. They do not want a mutually beneficial arrangement. They want the other person to be hurt. Envy shows up throughout the scriptures. This is just one example. But envy shows up throughout the scriptures as the cause for malicious intent and action. It was envy and jealousy at the songs that were being sung about David that caused Saul to set his face against him. Do you remember that? It was envy at Daniel's promotion in Daniel 6 that led his co-workers plotting against him and eventually getting him thrown in the lion's den. And shockingly, this is amazing, shockingly, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul tells us, that it was envy against him that made other men preach it's shocking philippians chapter one verse 15 others motivated by envy and rivalry with him they preach the gospel so that because you know paul has a huge ministry he's obviously an apostle set apart he's got amazing revelations he's he's teaching powerfully no man i need the same thing so let me go preach so that I can have a bigger ministry than Paul. There is a story that you might have heard, an ancient story, of two demons in the desert trying to tempt a monk. So there's this monk. He had left the he had left Rome and he had gone to live in the gone to live in the desert. Uh, Because he just wanted to be alone with God and his scrolls. And just doesn't want to be tempted by anything else that's in the world. So he just lives alone in the desert. And then there are two demons trying to tempt him. So the first demon comes and tries to tempt him. He gives him the lust of the the eyes. tries to tempt him with all kinds of thoughts and images. Trying to tempt him by the lust of the eyes. And what happens? Nothing. The man is fine. The man is able to... To, to, to fight against those, those, those particular temptations. He's able to withstand them. The second demon comes and says, I'm going I'm to attack him with the lust of the flesh. And this demon attacks him with the lust of the flesh, trying to get him to lust after stuff and want things that are evil and tries and tries. And the man holds firm. No, nope, I'm going to stand against this. He stands against this, these temptations. And then Satan passes by and goes to these demons and says, you amateurs let me tell you what you need to do. Let me show you what you need to do. And then all he does is that he goes to the ear of the monk and he says to him, your, your best friend has just been made bishop of Rome. And as soon as he says that, he sees the face of the monk fall and his teeth start to grind and his heart is riddled with envy. He's got it. All he had to tell him was that someone else has been successful someone else has been exalted you see the danger of envy envy is horrific and it is a sheer source of malice against other people why is it that you've singled out this person why this requires us saints to constantly check the temperature of our hearts When others are exalted around us. Yeah? This requires us to check the temperature of our hearts when others are exalted at home. Children, teenagers, listen to me. When your siblings or cousins are being exalted in front of you, when others are being said, look at how wonderful this person was. You have to be careful not to want to put yourself in there first, to try and count and say, I'm also wonderful. We're not talking about you, we're talking about little Johnny right now. (laughs) Same thing happens with work, can happen at church, can happen amongst my friend group. Why all these little things? When somebody else is exalted, when somebody else gets something wonderful that we might desire, we constantly need to check the temperature of our hearts. You must mark this, saints. Where there is no real deep-seated rejoicing at another person's success, you have the seeds of malice. Where there is no real deep-seated rejoicing at another's advancement, you have all that is required for maliciousness on your part. You need to rejoice with those who rejoice. If everything must be a rivalry, If everything must be a competition for prominence, you are at risk, watch yourself. You will find yourself thinking and acting maliciously. First source is malice, is envy. Second source of malice is unacknowledged self-importance. Unacknowledged self-importance. Come with me to the book of Esther, Esther chapter 5. The book of Esther, Esther chapter 5. I want you to pay attention to some of these words. This is an astonishing passage of scripture. <clears throat> this is an exalted man, Haman. He's been exalted. But look at what he says. Look at, let's read from verse 9. Esther chapter 5 from verse 9. And Haman went out out that day rejoicing and feeling good. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the gate of the king, and he did not rise or tremble before him, Haman was filled with rage toward Mordecai. But Haman controlled himself and went to his house, and he sent for and brought his friends and Zeresh his wife. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his wealth and the number of his sons and all the ways that the king had honored him and promoted him above the officials and the king's servants. And then Haman said, Esther the queen did not let let just anyone come to the banquet that she prepared with the king except me. And I'm also invited tomorrow to her banquet with the king. But all of this does not satisfy me. When I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the gate of the king. And Zeresh his wife and all of his friends said to him, let them make gallows 50 cubits high and in the morning tell the king, let them hang Mordecai on it, then go with the king to the banquet happily. And this advice pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. What did Haman want? Haman wanted Mordecai's praise. Haman wanted Mordecai's acknowledgement and he didn't get it. This issue starts in chapter 3. You read in chapter 3, you see there that in chapter 3, he's, he's made uh, the, the king sets Haman high and tells everybody, bow to this guy. And Mordecai does not bow to him. And because Mordecai does not bow to him, he starts right there, not only hating Mordecai, but also hating all Jews. Because there's one guy who did not acknowledge my greatness. I'm important, don't you know? Why don't you acknowledge it? I'm superior, don't you understand? How are you not spreading across my fame? I am the first one who is called on by the king for advice, can't you see? Why is it that you do not see me worthy of worship? Couldn't handle it, and so that was the seed and then he ended up wanting to kill not only him, but all Jews. See, the same, my friends, can be said even in the case of the Lord Jesus. The Jewish religious establishment could not handle that our Lord exposed them. And it did not acknowledge the truthfulness of their religious religiosity. They could see that he was sent for God, from God. The parable of the wicked tenant confirms this. They knew that he was holy and yet they kept trying to trap him and they eventually got him killed because Jesus did not acknowledge them and Jesus constantly used them as an example of how not to be. If Jesus had preached his message while also acknowledging acknowledging them as the true righteous men of Israel, he would have lived. But because he did not acknowledge them, he was just, he could, they couldn't, it was grating against them all the time. And so they, they killed him. Consider this, dear friends. Consider this. Where do you feel unacknowledged? Where do you feel unacknowledged? Who is the person or the people whom you feel do not put you in the place that you deserve? Who doesn't take you seriously when you feel like they should? Whose opinion, whose praise do you crave when you're not getting it? Where's this place where you constantly feel defensive because you want to constantly say I am truly awesome. And yet this person could not hand just, just has no time for you and your awesomeness. Is it possible my friend that your slander and gossip at work is rooted at the bonus that you thought you deserved but you didn't get. Perhaps the reason you have such issues with your manager or, your, or the establishment at work or the leadership team at work is because you, did not, you do not feel acknowledged the way that you, you think you should be. Watch it. Watch yourself. You are at risk of acting maliciously. Your heart has been gripped by malice if you're constantly thinking about how you are not being acknowledged to be what you think you should be, in the way that you feel like you should be acknowledged. Watch yourself. That's the second source of malice that we find throughout the Scriptures. The final source, or not the final source, but at least the third source for our discussion this morning is unresolved malice offenses. Unresolved offenses. The first source is envy. Second source is unacknowledged self-importance. And the third source is unresolved offenses. Come with me to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. Second Samuel chapter thirteen is one of the most horrific, painful passages in the Scripture you'll ever read. Amnon, in this in this pa- in this passage, had horribly violated Tamar. The passage that precedes what we're going to look at now in verse twenty is one of the most heart-wrenching tales of evil you'll ever read, you'll ever read. Tamar begged and pleaded, and Amnon, in his satanic disposition, violated her and destroyed her dignity. And we told that when David hears this, he's angry, but David does nothing. He is unhappy, but he does not bring justice to the situation. And so look at what happens in verse 20. 2 Samuel chapter 13 verse 20. After Amnon had done this horrific thing to Tamar, her brother Absalom says this to her. Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. And when King David heard of all of these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Absalom, you see, if you're confused because people are saying, brother, here what's happening is David has... A number of wives, and from one wife he has Amnon and he has uh, Absalom and Tamar, and from another wife he has Amnon. And Amnon, filled with lust, violated, raped Tamar. And so Absalom, who grew up with Tamar, who's his sister from his mother, from her mother, he, say, he, he looks at what has happened and sees that nothing is being done and he hates him, he hates Amnon, and he keeps it in his heart to kill him. And not only will he kill Amnon, Absalom, not only will he kill Amnon, he will, in two years time after this, he will kill him. When Amnon has forgotten and he is relaxed, he will kill him. Not only does he kill him, he then goes for David's throne. This right here, is a, is a seed is a moment where it was planted in his heart to have malice not only against Amnon but even his father for not acting aright now this is a very messy story because i think you and i would agree that Absalom was right to be aggrieved at the treatment of his sister and not only that he was completely right to be aggrieved at David's inaction he was right David should have done something. David was wrong to just be angry and blow hot smoke and do nothing about this. You know, when Tamar was pleading for herself, she said, such a thing should not be done in Israel. She was so noble. Don't do such a thing. Such a thing should never be done in Israel. And David hears of such a thing done in Israel and does nothing. But friends, if you and I were to sit down with God's word open, we would come up with a number of righteous actions that Absalom could have done instead of pursuing Amnon, his brother's blood himself. If we just have our Bibles open and here's a plug for growth group, I'm gonna ask you this question in growth group to discuss what are the biblical things he could have done? What are the godly things he could have done? You and I can come up with a number of good things that could have done pleading the case in the right way, pushing it in front of the king and all of judges. There's many things that he could have done to try and get justice for his sister, but pursuing the blood of Amnon himself and then holding a a grudge and malice against his father, David, is not one of them. But Absalom grew bitter. He was full of resentment and he was living for those two years before he killed him, was living with a low-level anger just a low-level anger you know that anger that just stays it's there you can smile but you're angry it's there think about a chronic disease you always have it it's just about managing the levels you know if you if you have diabetes you must always be managing your insulin levels well it's the same with bitterness if you are bitter resentful you're full of resentment and bitterness you're, you, it, it shows up up and down, but you're just constantly just managing it, just managing it, but it's always there. You, have, you need to deal with it. It's constantly there. Because of what, what happened to his sister, there is a taste in his mouth, a constant bitterness, a rage, a rage that needs to be let out, and he will let it out in two years' time, when he kills his brother and then goes for his father. His evil intention. His malice was not justified, even though his grievance was. See, it's very important to deal with grievances in a biblical manner, friends. It's very important to deal with grievances in a biblical manner. It's extremely important to deal with grievances and offenses by taking the correct and right steps. Deal with the issue. Confront it. Talk about it. Con- confess what needs to be confessed say that you hurt me if somebody hurt you deal with the thing, speak it out resolve it and move on once it's been resolved let it go once the discussion has been had and the person who has apologized, who has needs to apologize has apologized and restitution has taken place in the manner that restitution must take place close it up, pack your bags move on from that The worst thing you could say when someone asks you if you're fine with how a situation ended is to say you are fine when you're not. You're lying. Don't say you're fine. If you're not fine, deal with the issue and then learn to move on. There is nothing spiritual about sweeping things under the rug. We need to deal with grievances. And here's a side note, even for, for fathers, for mothers, for anybody in any position of authority, please, if you want a happy home, if you're, even if you're an, or if you're an employer, you have employees, if you want a happy company, deal with grievances. Do not show partiality. If this, this thing we're seeing here, it's so not the first time we're seeing it in the Bible, we saw it all the way back in Genesis. When, when Jacob was treating Joseph differently and constantly, little by little, his brothers were perturbed and they were living with a low level anger and what happened at the end? They sold him to slavery. Because of how Jacob was managing his household, he was treating him with a difference. He was not treating him like he was treating everybody else. For those of us, who are in any kind of authority over any kind of people, please ensure to deal with things and to not show partiality. Deal with things, make sure that issues are resolved, forgiveness is given, asked for and forgiven, so that we can move on with everything out in the open, and not so that people, you do not create a bunch of people around you who are living with a low-level bitterness. And anger that is slowly growing, slowly, will end up blowing up at some point. The Lord Jesus taught us, friends, to not worship if we have issues with our brother or sister. Or if they have issues with us. That's what Jesus told us. That's That's the law that he laid for us. Do not worship if you know somebody has a grievance against you. Or you have a grievance against them. Don't worship, go deal with that and then come and worship. Paul expands that same idea and says do not take communion and hurt yourself without properly examining yourself with regard to the people of Christ that you're in fellowship with. This is very important because if we allow the bitterness to grow, if we do not deal with issues, we're going to be gripped by malice and we're going to want to hurt the person. We're going to find ourselves being disagreeable to a person, just disagreeable. Having just certain feelings about them. When they talk, when they act, you just. Mm-mm. <laughs> Why? Why is it? It's because you haven't dealt with something. It happened 10 years ago, 5 years ago. You haven't dealt with it. It's still there. You said it's fine. You swept it under the rug, but you're still bitter. Deal with the issue and move on. And then learn to move on. Some of us need to learn to move on. Once the issue has been sorted out, move on. It's been dealt with, let's move on. Let's live without burdens. These are some sources, three, some sources of malice. Envy, unacknowledged self-importance, and unresolved offenses. So if we find in ourselves these seeds of malice, what do we do? Come back now to our text. Second 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1-2. to two. And let's hear what Peter says we ought to do. What does Peter say we ought to do? Well, what he says we ought to do is similar, very similar to what Paul tells us to do in Ephesians 4.31 and in Colossians 3.8. And in, 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 in those passages in general, look at what Peter tells us to do. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy and evil and slander Two, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good two things number one put it away number two crave what is good number one put it away Number two, crave that which is true and good. In fact, James says exactly the same thing. James 1.21, he says this, Therefore, pour away all filthiness and rampant maliciousness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So number one, put it away. Put it away. Get get rid of it. What does that mean? We could talk about this for a long time. What does it look like to put it away? But we could at least say this. I think we can all agree that putting it away at least means this. We must first call it what it is. Call what it is, it's malice. Use the biblical term. The reason I feel this way is not natural. It's unnatural, it's sinful. This is malice. I'm feeling like I want to single out this person. I have an issue with this person and I just, I, I just want to deal with them. Call it what it is. It will help you generally to use biblical language when you're thinking about these things. Don't just say that you're processing your thoughts when you are gossiping. <laughs> Don't just say that you're warning somebody when you're slandering What you're doing is slander. Call it what it is. Don't just say that you're just joking when by your joke you really meant to hurt and belittle this person. You said something as a manner of a joke and then you say, hey, I'm just joking. But you know what you meant by the joke. You know where that joke came from, don't you? So don't call it that it's just a joke. This this something's been building. It's been grabbing you and this joke was like you were ready with it. This joke was ready for an opportunity. Malice. Call it what it is. And if we constantly call it what it is, we'd we'll be able to identify it and stay away from it. You can't put something away if you haven't defined it, if you're busy cloaking it and calling it something that it isn't. Call it what it is. And by therefore, if you just practice as a believer, I'm one who is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, who has been given the new identity having righteousness and joy and truthfulness living in me, and here I am, riddled and acting and thinking with malice. Just by saying that sentence, I believe just by that, that helps you see yourself as you are. And it helps you deal with the issue. It will help you put it away just by calling it, this, what, it what this is, is malice, and I need to stay away from it. Number two, it doesn't just say put it away, but says crave the pure spiritual milk. James says, receive with meekness the implanted word. This means that we are to use the resources that our Lord Jesus has procured for us by his death and resurrection. Because we have now the word of God, let us remove from ourselves maliciousness and replace this maliciousness in our heart with a craving for beauty and truth found in the word of God let us instead of having maliciousness and these feelings of self-importance and putting them in our chest let us then think of God and his goodness and his truth and let's stay near the word and desire the word of God he says here crave good spiritual milk Crave the gospel, crave the scripture, crave righteousness, feed those cravings. You've been born again in Christ. You have two natures, a dead and dying one and a living one that will live forever. The new man, feed the new man. Feed those cravings of the new man. When the righteous man wants to fight against malice, feed him. Crave what is good and what is true seek after righteousness jesus says this blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because what they will be filled seek after righteousness desire to not be this way desire to walk in a manner that fits the true nature that you have you are born again in christ and those of you who are not in christ are not excluded from this freedom if you see in yourself Malice, horrible malice. You can be free from it if you trust Jesus Christ who died and rose again. When we talk about freedom from sin, this is what we're talking about. We're saying that in Christ, we get new, we are a new creation. We get recreated and we have new desires, new cravings. And then by the, thereby, by the help of the Spirit, we can push more forward. In the righteous way, not in the evil way. But if you stay unregenerate, unrepentant, staying away from the Lord Jesus Christ, you will only ever be enslaved by malice. There is no hope for you. If you want freedom from malice, you need to come to the one who is free from malice. The one who constantly always acted in love. No matter how, how harsh a word he spoke, it was always in love. And in truth, you need to come to him. He's the only one who can free you, ultimately, from malice. Well, dear saints, let's praise God that there is hope for us. And that we need to acknowledge this monster. We need to be aware of this monster. And that we need to be fighting against this monster and his ways. May God help us. Amen. Lord, we are so thankful to you that there is no malice to be found in you. That all that is found in you is purity and not wickedness. And because of that, we have a hope that lasts into eternity. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to crave true spiritual milk and to not be full of malice. We pray, Lord, that you would come into our hearts and deal with us, expose us, expose to us where malice has a hold, in whatever relationships we have with whomever, and free us from its grip. We are aware, Lord, that we are not able to change internal things by external means we are entirely in need of heart surgery please do the work help us in your name we pray amen Amen.